Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month month with her, who who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Sometimes stressed out, sometimes a little uh, worked by all of these other things that uh, have to take place. Uh, for others, uh, we know that maybe the holiday season can be difficult. Uh, sometimes it uh, uh, heightens our sense of uh, loneliness. Sometimes it makes us miss loved ones uh, that we have lost uh, even more. Um, but God, this, uh, the one thing uh, we want to, I guess, take away from today is um, the Christmas holiday uh, is a wonderful holiday, not because of all these uh, extra things that oftentimes come along with it, but because of the substance of it. And uh, um, it really is quite amazing that uh, you uh, would come down as this baby. And so we pray, God, that uh, really this message and um, the character of who you are uh, would be made uh, powerful in our hearts today as we hear from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, you know, as I alluded to in, uh, in my prayer, uh, I'm sure this is like a busy season for some people. Um, you know, in our family, uh, I told you last week, I'm not really festive and I don't love like the Christmas season <laughs> and the Christmas holiday uh, just because uh, it's just like so much work, right? So much extra stuff. So in our family, as soon as Thanksgiving is was over, my wife is like, we got to get a Christmas tree. And uh, so we got a Christmas tree. We went to buy it. Actually, what she wanted to do is she wanted to like, go to a uh, forest and cut our own. And I was like, I do not want to do that. <laughs> Let's just go to the nearest place and buy a Christmas tree. So we get that. Uh, we decorated the tree. Uh, we had to take pictures for Christmas cards, send out the cards, wrap some gifts, uh, you know, start listening to some Christmas music, watching s- some Disney Christmas movies, uh, Mickey Mouse, my kids like, uh, tend there are school events and there are Christmas parties, and uh, we ourselves as a family, we have a couple Christmas gatherings to go to. Um, you know, tonight we were actually supposed to do something with uh, Jen's family in the evening, but uh, I think we're going to probably not do that anymore. And then uh, my wife's parents are coming up tomorrow, and we're going to do some stuff with them. And then on Tuesday, we're going to do some, stuff, some stuff with my family. And then on actual Christmas Day, we have no plans, so I'm hoping we do nothing. And uh, I will actually probably uh, have to work that day because I have to speak at a retreat on uh, Thursday. But <coughs> uh, this, this season tends to get really busy, and it's so easy, I think, to forget uh, why we even celebrate Christmas in the first place. Although we might know it in our minds, uh, the impact of what Christmas is actually about and what 
uh, why it's such a wonderful gift from God and why it's such a wonderful holiday, uh, I think it can be easily elusive to us. And as I said before, uh, Christmas is not always a great time for everybody because for some people, uh, you know, especially during the holiday seasons, uh, that's when if you feel lonely, right, your sense of loneliness is heightened. Um, Sometimes if you have lost a loved one, uh, the absence of that loved one becomes heightened during uh, these kinds of holidays because your memories are associated with uh, those loved ones. And so uh, Christmas tends to draw out some of these extreme emotions from us. And in the midst of all the other things that go with Christmas, um, at least for this, the next, what, 20, 30 minutes or so, uh, I hope we can just reflect upon the true nature of the miracle of Christmas and what it means that Jesus Christ has come into this world. Now, earlier this year, um, you know, I, I mentioned documentaries a lot because I, I like documentaries. I watch a lot of documentaries. And earlier this year, uh, I saw two documentaries that I thought were really fascinating. The first one was about the Fire Festival. And uh, if you know anything about the Fire Festival, basically it's this luxurious musical uh, festival or this event that turned out to be this complete disaster because <laughs> it was based on a lot of these fraudulent claims that were made. And another documentary that I saw uh, was based on uh, this um, CEO of a company called Theranos. Theranos is this health technology company uh, that also made a lot of fraudulent claims but drew a lot of investors. And uh, the reason why I think I found both of these documentaries to be so fascinating and perhaps even parabolic of, uh, of the age of our time is because in both documentaries, you can see how, uh, how much of a draw style can be even when there's no substance to that style, right? Christmas, in my opinion, is supposed to be actually the very opposite of that. Uh, what God does on Christmas and in sending Jesus and the way he sends Jesus into the world, it's all substance with very little style. Born in a manger, right? Born of this, who, this nobody named Mary from this nobody, uh, th from this no-name town of a uh, village of Nazareth. And uh, Christmas, I think, is filled with substance but doesn't have that much flair to it. And I think there's something there in terms of how we understand uh, who God is and what we actually celebrate during the Christmas holiday. Uh, we've been looking at the Gospel of Luke the last two weeks, and the Gospel of Luke is very unique because one of the things that Luke does is Luke tends to elevate or exemplify the faith of uh, people that wouldn't normally be elevated in society. So Luke is, loves to lift up the children. Luke loves to lift up the poor. Luke loves to say, look at these outcasts and how they respond to Jesus, and they are an example of the kind of faith that we want to have. Women are another example in the ancient world of, of people who didn't have great status, and in the Gospel of Luke, there is also this emphasis on women, and women are viewed very favorably and respond very favorably to Jesus. So, for example, in the Gospel of Matthew, when an angel comes and speaks, the primary character in the Gospel of Matthew is actually Joseph. But here in the Gospel of Luke, the primary character in this conversation is Mary. Mary and the angel. And through this conversation, we learn a lot about Mary. And in particular, we learn a lot about the kind of person that she was in terms of her faith. You see, there is this contrast in terms of the passage last week where we looked at this guy named Zechariah. And uh, between this uh, little uh, teenage girl named Mary. Because Zechariah, he was like this older guy. He was so advanced in years. They were barren. They couldn't have children. He's a male. He's a priest. 
And when the angel comes and tells Zechariah about, hey, you are about to have bear a son uh, through your wife Elizabeth, uh, named John the Baptist, uh, Zechariah responds with unbelief. And as a result of that unbelief, the angel says, you cannot talk, right? You're going to be mute for uh, nine months until the baby comes out. But contrast that with somebody like Mary. Mary, she's young. She's this uh, female, this teenage girl. She is this girl from a place called right, Nazareth. And nobody knows where Nazareth is. It's a, uh, you know what town I grew up in in New Jersey? Maplewood. Nobody knows where Maplewood is. <laughs> it's not like saying New York City. Everybody knows New York. But it's like this little town from Nazareth. And yet, God chooses this no-name girl from this no-name village to bear a son who would later be the savior of the world. Can you believe that? And in our passage, we have this great announcement coming from this angel Gabriel, and we see Mary's response to it. When the angel comes, he says in verse 31, he says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and... Um, <clears throat> And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. If you were a Jewish person at the time, that's, that's an amazing promise. This is actually what you're waiting for. After about four year, 400 years of silence, uh, you're looking for God to now do something for the people of Israel because they have been so weakened for so many years. They're like, God, you made this promise, and we're just waiting for you to fulfill this promise, and now we kind of see this uh, crack of light beginning to shine through this announcement through the angel Gabriel. And I think there's something in this announcement that would probably be of particular interest to these people. The angel announces in verses uh, 32, 30, 33, what is, what is the angel talking about? God will give Jesus the throne of David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his, of his kingdom there will be no end. It's a promise. I will send you a king. Now, uh, maybe we can't relate because we're not used to living under a monarchy with a king. Maybe we don't see, hey, it would be great to have a king. But, you know, for the people of Israel, uh, they're clamoring for a king. They want a leader. And one of the reasons they want a king is because, you know, a king is someone who can actually um, make a society or make people uh, just and righteous. And if the king is just, if the king is righteous, it's actually good for all people. You see this actually particularly in the book of Judges. <coughs> in Judges, it records what life was like when there was no king. Uh, the book ends with saying, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And probably in our culture, we're like, yeah, that's a great thing. Everybody can express themselves and be their own selves and be themselves individually. But for the people of Israel, they would have said, no, that's not a good thing because what you see when that happens is chaos. Now, theoretically, it might sound good if everybody can do that, which is right in their own eyes. But you see on the ground level, you know what ends up happening? Uh, you get a lot of injustice when everybody's doing right in their own eyes. Do you know why? Because those who are in power, uh, they have the power to exploit those who are not in power. And you see that very dynamic in the book of Judges. That's why Israel wanted a king. That's why they demanded a king in those days because they wanted someone who could judge them with righteousness so that it would produce justice and peace on earth. So you hear this announcement coming from the angel and they're like, oh, you are going to send a king who is going to rule with peace and justice? You are going to send someone uh, to take the throne of David? That is amazing news. And so how does Mary respond to this announcement? After the angel Gabriel makes this announcement, she, she asks a simple question. 
She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, have you thought about this? You know, when the angel makes an announcement to Zechariah, Zechariah asks a question too, right? He says, how shall I know? For I am a man and my wife is advanced in years. And uh, we see in that passage that uh, that was not a good question to ask. How, shall I, how will I know? Mary asks a question too, and her question is, how will this be? Now, what's the difference between those two questions? How will I know or how will this be? I think the difference between these two questions lies in the fact that Zechariah is asking this question, how will I know from a place of uh, unbelief? You say you're going to do this. How do I know you're going to actually do this? Mary is asking uh, kind of a question coming from curiosity, saying, "Um, okay, you're saying this, but I'm a virgin, so how is a baby going to come out of me when I'm a virgin? Right? It's a little bit of a different question, which means, you know, God's not against asking questions, but there's nuances in terms of the way we ask questions. One is kind of like a challenging question of like, I don't believe you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Another thing could be, well, how, how is this going to work, right? So Mary asked this question, and uh, I would say it's like a cautious curiosity. And af- after she asks this question, the angel responds and says, hey, nothing is impossible with God. In fact, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. That's an important word because it reminds us of a couple things. It reminds us of places like in Exodus 40 when there was this cloud that overshadowed the temple and what that signified was that the presence of God was over the people. It reminds us of uh, the transfiguration in Luke 9 where again you have a cloud that overshadows the disciples and God is speaking and declaring that Jesus is my son and you ought to listen to him. When the angel says, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, Mary, you know what he's saying? He's saying this, that the glorious presence of God will be with you. Just as it was with the Israelites when they're wandering in the wilderness, the presence of God will be with you. In fact, The angel says that verbatim in verse 28, the Lord is with you. Now, knowing that the presence of uh, God is with her, uh, it would have been something important for Mary to know. Why? Well, think about this. She's this little girl. Uh, She's a teenager. Maybe she's 12, 13, 14, around that age. She probably has some fears when she hears this announcement. And that's why the angel is saying, don't be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid. Mary has good reasons to be afraid. God is calling her to bear a child, not just any child, but the king of kings who will reign forever and bear the son of the most high. Not only that, God is calling her to do this as someone who is engaged but not yet married. Think about the scandal. Think about the glances. Think about the shame. What is Joseph going to think? Is Joseph going to believe that I'm still a virgin and yet I have conceived a child by way of the Holy Spirit? There's a lot of, that's a lot of things that uh, you're asking this young teenage girl to go through and a lot of reasons to be afraid. You know what she needs in that moment? The very words of comfort she needs in that moment is this. Don't be afraid. I will be with you. Right? My presence will be with you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will come and overshadow you. My presence will come protecting you, comforting you, strengthening you, just as it did for these Israelites in the wilderness. And upon hearing that, Mary has this wonderful response of surrender in verse 38. And uh, she says this, Behold, 
I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And essentially, you know what she's saying? Whatever will happen, let it happen, for I am your servant. I surrender to you. There's no grumbling. There's no complaining. There's no, okay, I will go through this if you give me certain assurances. Mary says, okay, whatever will happen, whatever you want to do, do. I am your servant. Now, some English translations will translate that as, that behold, as here I am, right? Here I am. I think it's a beautiful response uh, when God is calling uh, people in the Old Testament uh, towards something, right? Here I am. You hear that from, let's say, for example, somebody like Abraham. And God says, leave your home. Leave this and go to a new land. And several chapters later, God tells Abraham, go, sacrifice your son. And Abraham says, here I am. God calls Moses from the burning bush. and He says, lead my people Israel out of slavery into the promised land. And Moses says, here I am. God calls Isaiah and says, hey, these people's hearts through your preaching will be hardened. Go preach to them and harden their hearts. And Isaiah says, here I am. And now coming to Mary, Mary, you will bear a, a, a child, the son of the Most High. And Mary responds, here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You see, all throughout biblical history, God uses people who surrender to him so that he might carry out his plan and his will. And when he calls people, he strengthens them with a promise. And he says this, God, I'm calling you Abraham. And here's my promise, I will be your God. God calls Moses, God tells Moses, I will be with you. God calls Isaiah, he first takes away the guilt and says, your sin has been atoned for. And God calls Mary, he promises, hey, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You see, all these examples of faith and all these examples of surrender, it is ultimately leading to this one person. It is the very one who would be born of this Virgin Mary, Jesus Christ. And Jesus would demonstrate that ultimate surrender, would he not? He is the one who says to the Father, not my will, but your will, when he realizes what he would have to do on the cross. But you see, there, there's a very distinct difference between how all these other people surrender and how Jesus surrendered. You see, because when all these other people surrendered, it accompanied a promise that God said he would fulfill. When Jesus surrenders, it costs him the very things that God promises. You see, whereas Abraham could stand on the promise of a relationship by way of this thing called a covenant, you know what Jesus' surrender meant? It, it meant that this relationship would now be severed with his father. Moses could claim that, oh, God will be with me. Jesus' surrender meant what? father would turn his face away isaiah would claim my guilt is taken away my sin is atoned for when jesus surrendered it meant this all the guilt would be upon him all the sin would be upon him so that we might become the righteousness of god and so you see you look at these examples of faith and these examples of surrender and how it ultimately leads to and points to the surrender of jesus and you also see that nothing compares to what jesus christ himself surrendered and lost because of sinners such as us. And that's a, that's a beautiful truth of the gospel. All those promises on which the saints of old stood upon, they are now fulfilled in Christ. They are now accessible to you and I through our faith. 
they are now accessible to you and I because Jesus Christ has made them accessible to you and I. And therefore, we have been given this greatest gift of all in the person of Jesus Christ. And you see, friends, that's the substance of Christmas. Uh, Christmas is the anti-fire festival, right? Christmas is the anti-theranos. Uh, uh, very little style, very little style, but filled with glorious substance. Uh, you can't market weakness, right? You can't market Nazareth. You can't market this uh, young teenage girl. But God uses that which is not marketable to give us the king that we need in order to secure the kingdom that we long for and the salvation that we don't deserve. And Christmas is about that grace flowing down. Uh, there's a story, and um, uh, this story always actually reminds me about Christmas. And uh, it's a story that I've talked about before, but there was this article in the Washington Post and this like brilliant uh, violinist who had like a violin that cost millions and millions of dollars and people pay like $100 a, a ticket to see this violinist decided to do an experiment and went into the subway station, not in New York, I think in Washington DC in the metro. And he just sat down in these plain clothes and he started playing his music on this like, m like several million dollar guitar, I mean not guitar, violin. And uh, everybody's like kind of ignoring him and just kind of walking by him. And uh, they, they missed the substance or the beauty of what he was able to play because the style wasn't there, right? Um, hey, next time you pass a musician in New York subway, think about that, right? Maybe this person could be famous. <laughs> Maybe this person could be like a, a music prodigy. Um, you know what Christmas is calling us to do? Uh, you know, especially in a world, I think, that really does value things like style and the externals. Um, Christmas is reminding us that we have a God who actually does have a style, but more importantly, he has a substance. He has a substance, and he communicates that substance with very little style. And he calls upon us to see it, to bask in it, to glory in it, and to receive it. And so reflect upon that, that our God is substantially filled with glory, filled with love, filled with mercy, filled with sacrifice, filled with power, filled with hope, filled with security, filled with joy, filled with gladness, and he offers that to us. And let's not miss out because the packaging isn't the way we thought it would be. Let's pray together.